Ladies, gentlemen, or what have you, I'm Orion Lavelle. And I'm Travis Mattingly. And you're listening to Tooth and Nail, a monstrous podcast where we talk about monsters, but mostly demons. That's, yep, you're right. From now on. From now until the (laughs) end of time, we'll talk about demons. So get the popcorn ready, simmer up some demons. Put the demon in the pot, boil it, get essence of demon, demon extract. You can also get fake demon extract for like three bucks at Walgreens. So go go do that. It's basically tastes the same. It does the same thing. It's fine. But unless you want to treat yourself, then get pure demon extract uh, at D Petralos, which is the real fancy co-op near your house. Where you this can get ex- the good shit. This extended world lore you've created. Uh-huh. <laughs> the whole thing in the Tooth and Nail multiverse. We're talking about the first demon in the demon, the demon tide, the demon lineup. We're talking about Baylor's on this one, which is pretty much just a D&D Balrog. Yeah. So that's going to do it for this episode of Tooth and Nail. <laughs> Quick and easy, just like I like it. The end. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, but no, this is... This is the, like, the big guy. This is one of the big leading general demons. Pretty much, like, I think damn near the best a demon can get is the Baylor. Yeah, I think it has the highest challenge rating outside of a demon lord. Yeah, I think, yeah. Let me double check my... Yep. And Garistro, yep. Yep, that that and Garistro's the Baylor, but I think the Baylor even outranks the Garistro. I think they're pretty much, they're, they're kind of set up as... The, the generals over the demonic horde yeah. as the book tells us so i think this is short of being flat out orcus the best you can get yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so i edited it out but there was like a five minute silence and that's because <laughs> there's no lore for the baylor if we could literally keep in like just and now we'll talk about the lore and that was pretty much the lore <laughs> That's, that's like pretty much because all of the lore stuff we covered in the last episode, all we get for the yeah. Baylor is one little paragraph. Um, yeah, they're, they're really like, there's not too much to Baylors. They're big Hulken monsters. They're very mobile, as we'll find in the mechanical stuff, but that's about it. All of the, the big lore stuff we covered in the last episode. So if you are good to go, let's do the episode! I bet you that was a terrible echo. <laughs> so yes, in terms of the lore, the one paragraph of lore we get, I guess two paragraphs of lore that we get. It's literally, no, the second paragraph, I do not, that is a <laughs> small description of what it looks like and what it can do. All of the lore is one sentence. So the one sentence <laughs> of lore that we get is that Baylors are ancient and terrible and evil and they rule as generals over demonic armies. One sentence and I fucked it up. <laughs> Fuck, let me retake it. <laughs> so the... <laughs> Your face was what made it. <laughs> so the one sentence of lore that we get is that Baylors are figures of ancient and terrible evil and that they rule as generals over demonic armies yearning to seize power while destroying any creatures that oppose them. <laughs> yep. They they have a, they got a whip made of fire and a longsword made of lightning and they are big and angry and they explode when they die. Yep, the book just says that. Yep, they ran out of stuff to say about its personality and its, <laughs> which, which is a shame because it is basically the D and D Balrog, and it would have been kind of cute to have like a little Balrog reference in there. Yeah, yeah. Oh well, the end. As like a little side note, uh, I I went on the the wiki just to see if there was anything else about Baylor's out there, 
and it's pretty much just that, except also like a description of how much they weigh, which whatever. But it's weird that there's no mention of apparently Baylor, the Baylor that Baylors yeah. are named after. Yeah, in the this Prime book. Baylor. Prime, yeah, Baylor Prime. Or Baylor. <laughs> it's weird that there's no reference to him at all. Whatever. They didn't have room. They were like, oh fuck, this is all the demon stuff. We did. We can't add more pages. <laughs> we can't have just. What, 60 pages in a row is probably what it would have turned out to be? I guess be. so, yeah. If they wanted to put in full-ass text for every single demon, we'd still be reading it to this day. <laughs> so, in terms of the artistic design, which is kind of the big showcasey thing that we get for the Baylor, along with the stat block, uh, it's Balrog. It's a big old Balrog. It's Peter Jackson's Balrog. Its body is a little less made of fire. Yeah, but... it's less fiery, but it has the exact silhouette of the Balrog. Yeah. Down to the sword and the whip and whatnot. And so what it actually articulates as is just a big, muscly boy. It's got red, crimson, bright skin. Uh, it's got uh, kind of like a, it almost, I want to say it's like an ape like or maybe like a bull like head cranium like it's skeleture yeah it's like the the it's snoot is like the midway point between a gorilla face and a bull face but yes. then it also has horns yes yes so this the snoot is in fact <laughs> both ape-like and uh fuck what's like not equine but like <laughs> oh no minotaurus in in nature yeah, i'm that, sure there's a I word think... for it i can't toric in nature toric yeah uh, i i think i think that the the ba- I almost said Balrog. The Baylor uh, looks a lot more like a Minotaur than apparent. I just noticed it up there. Garistros are apparently the Minotaurs of demons, but yeah. I think that the Baylor looks more like it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> whatever. It looks like Balrog. Strokes for folks, whatever. Strokes, stroke, stroke folks. Stroke folks. Uh, it's a big muscly boy. It's got that head. It also has a pair of bat wings. And that's about it for its general. It's got silhouette. a skull on its shoulder. It does. No, like in terms of the <laughs> detail stuff, it's metal as shit. It's got chains around the arms because, of course, it's got chains around the arms. It's a demon. It also decided to get real safe with uh, skull knee pads to protect yeah. its little knees. It's got a skull pauldron to protect its little shoulder. And it does seem to have a skull uh, straight up caught in that piece. Yeah, it's Dongus. Yeah, it's, it's, it's got a the, skull Dongus. At the crest of the Dongus. <laughs> Of the Baylor, there rests a skull. Yeah. That's sentence one of my new novel, <laughs> The Crest of the Dongus. That's hot. It's real good. Uh, in addition to that, it also has the more boring lightning sword and the more boring flame whip. But let's talk about them Dongus skulls, though. Yeah, that is just kind of straight up just like a falchion. Yeah. But yeah. it's lightning. Yeah, it's funny. I like the the old, we briefly scrolled together the old designs for Baylors. Uh, in previous versions of Baylor's, the sword was just straight up shaped like a lightning yeah, bolt. Yeah, like, third edition, it was a little, like, just kind of a jaggedy sword also, but st- straight up second and fourth edition, it just looked like a lightning bolt. Yeah. Like the uh, the Blade of Artemis from God of War. We're bringing God of War into every demon now. Good luck. Yeah, get, get ready for that. <laughs> I feel like there's another sword I can't think of. God, I hate it whenever something makes the sword look shaped like a lightning bolt. <laughs> I think it's so stupid. There's another sword that does it. I can't think of it right now. Trust me, I don't like it. <laughs> uh, and that's what the sword looks like. The whip looks like just a cone of fire in, in yeah. whip shape. Yeah. So there that is. It's less interesting to talk about. I like this like little mane of white fur it has. It's yeah. quite cool. It, it kind of reminds me of like a League of Legends character. It's <laughs> neat. I was trying to decide if he's wearing horn jewelry. Horn jewelry. Oh, I can't quite tell because of the lighting. Yeah, it almost does look like he's got little bangles on his horns. And this is getting ahead of the, ourselves a little bit, but the Bulgara, which is the next demon up, also has some bangles on its wrists. 
And I wonder if this is almost like... It's weird, because when I think about demons, I don't think about, like, yeah. accessorizing. Yeah. <laughs> they aren't, like... I, it's probably realistically like one dude got assigned to every demon and so yeah. that's the like artistic through line um i almost wonder if it's something like an amulet like a demon amulet kind of thing <laughs> at play like that is what their amulets articulate as these bronze bangles but whatever hmm. what are those chains for uh chaining <laughs> yeah fair enough they're to make them look like kratos they may <laughs> look like kratos further the god of war comparisons that's the real long con yeah, doing my job for me that's why Orcus looks like Hades, because this one dude... I'd like to think, though, that is a little bit. Like, yeah. somebody, like, in the 4th edition design team or something had played God of War and was like, hmm, yeah. that's pretty good. I just kind of shiftily looked in both directions. Surely, like, the Orcus design is way older than the Hades design in God of War, right? Is it? I've never seen, like, 1st and 2nd edition Orcus. I don't know, man. I don't know. So when we do our research on Orcus, or either right now or in three years, we'll get back to you. He used to be hot. Whoa, hold on. Whoa. Whoa, he used to be hot. Whoa, <laughs> dang. Whoa! Are you sure you're on the official site? Okay, well, that looks normal. Orcus fucks! Yeah, uh, so that, um, so, yeah. taking a- yikes! Whoa! And then, he and just... then he just gets progressively bigger over time, like Arnold Schwarzenegger or something. Uh, yeah, that's quite strange. I- we cursory Google search, uh, gave us a bevy of old Orcuses that were super hot. Uh, so... <laughs> So that. Yeah, unrelated to Baylor's, it was just a tangent, but wow, yeah. I learned something today. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> that's that's for us. Almost in response to the fact that there's not a whole lot of demon lore, there's a little blurb, you know how there's like those little tag blurbs on some of the pages? This one's from the Demonomicon of Igwilv. Igly Wiggly. Igly Wiggly. That doesn't say anything particular about the Baylor. It just says that demons are painfully difficult to summon and control. It's not a burden for the weak of heart or the weak of spirit. Which, like, we get that you didn't want to write more stuff for the Baylor, <laughs> but come on. Why tag that on the Baylor? Because they, they had a whole lot of space <laughs> that they, like, the stat block is too big. You can't put two <laughs> demons on there. They gotta fill up that dead space somehow. Uh, gotta make that paper. God damn it. You don't make paper with words. <laughs> what? Don't make paper with words. It's a book. You don't make paper with the words. It's all about the images. Ah, right. Of course. Emphasis on jizz. I'm trying to come up with a good joke that we can fade out from into the next segment. But fuck it. That's all we got. <laughs> we don't have time to put effort into jokes. They didn't do it for the lore. That's true. So in terms of the mechanical stuff for the Baylor, it is a capital H huge fiend of the demon persuasion with a chaotic evil alignment, which, yep, that all checks out. <laughs> it has a super high challenge rating of 19, making this a pretty late game monster. And kind of interestingly, it has a technically below average HP of 262 and an average AC of 19, which is strange. You'd think like a big old guy like this would be a bit tankier, but I'm kind of i guess i crunching all the numbers in my head i can see why they would want it to be a little bit squishier than average because of the amount of damage it can do over time we'll find that over the course of the stat block the balor is more dangerous the longer the fight goes on because of the damage it can do and some of the traits that it has uh it has it's 
It's a pretty quick lad. It has a 40-foot run speed and an 80-foot fly speed, a fly speed that is also supplemented by a thing that we'll talk about later. Spoilers, this boy got a teleport. <laughs> They're quite zippy. In terms of its attributes, it's pretty much what you would expect from a celestial creature. It's high as fuck. It's got big old stats all over the place. It's got super high strength for punching. It's got good dexterity. It's got high constitution. It's got high intelligence. It's got high wisdom. It's got super high charisma. OC do not steal. Yeah. It also, in addition to that, it gets saving throw bonuses. Pretty good saving throw bonuses to strength and con saves as well. And also, you know, reasonable solid bonuses to wisdom and charisma, which is kind of superfluous because it has the magic resistant thing. So like flat out, casters need not apply here. Yeah, it's except like maybe dex save. Yeah, except like... for the blast casters, <laughs> the ones that are chucking firebolts and fireballs and Don't try whatnot. to charm a Baylor. Yeah. <laughs> not likely. Can't charm a Baylor. <laughs> Can't charm a Baylor, which is uh, another D&D monster to fuck with the debuffers. Womp. Yeah. It is resistant to cold and lightning damage, which is fair, because uh, it's got a uh, fucking fire and lightning weapon, so it feels like it's reasonable to be resistant to that sort of thing. It's made of fire, got a storm up in its hand, and feels like it's fairly telegraphed, which we don't often get for D&D monsters, so cool, good for them. It is straight up immune to fire damage, which also feels appropriate. It's a fire demon. Uh, and also, it is immune to poison damage and is also immune to the poison condition, which is a demon thing. Yeah. It's just a thing that all the demons have. So yeah. as long as you can telegraph that all of the demons have this, it's fair. Makes sense. Reasonable. Yeah, it's the the damage resistance to cold is... It makes sense because he's made of fire, but also it makes sense because he's a demon. Yeah. And then the poison, for sure. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. Also, as a side note, it has the resistance to physical damage from non-magic weapons, which, like, why? Why do they even put this on monsters higher? I guess, like, just in case they put it on. But at this point in the game, everybody and their dog has a magic weapon. It's literally never going to come into contact with something that does not have a magic weapon. Fine. Whatever. Just yeah. maybe to layer on how cool it is, I guess. Whatever. Also, at a cursory glance, there's only one demon in this entire book that does that. Doesn't have the resistance to non-magical weapons. There's only one, and it's the shittiest one. Yeah. So it's like, man, it's just a useless thing in general. Yeah. They also get True Sight out to 120 feet, which, like, yep, that is, that's the part of the game we're in. Stuff has True Sight now. Baby, get used to it, Grandpa. The times have changed. You might not know the answer to this, but does anything this late in the game not have True Sight? It feels like anything with a CR higher than... 17 yeah <laughs> probably i'm sure there are exceptions but generally speaking i'm sure once you get to this point in the game stuff has true sight it's what it is it seems kind of bullshit but yeah it does seem kind of bullshit but also i can't think of <laughs> a yeah. reason why it's not bullshit so yeah it is kind of bullshit yeah it's 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 double bullshit like with the it's incredibly hard to do any utility stuff too it's yeah. like it's also impossible to fool with any illusions illusions yeah. and also, you can't sneak around it. Like, yeah, it's just kind of like I think. Well, True Sight doesn't just flat out tell you who's hidden around you, does it? I think I, it just sees it did, through illusions. But I, might, I might be wrong. No, no, no I, I thought I, you could see anything that was hidden, but I might be wrong. I think that's just. I think that's just invisibility. We'll double check real quick. Yeah, yeah so you can okay. still sneak past them. Cool. And in their defense, they have kind of a mild passive perception of thirteen at this point. So stuff that has built into stealth can sneak by them with some reliability okay that makes me feel a little better but still yeah it's still like you know get <laughs> fucked illusion casters yeah sorry uh in terms of languages it speaks abyssal which makes sense uh it also has telepathy out to 120 feet and this is another thing that is just common to demons that i didn't realize until after i looked through a couple of demons in this book 
that the telepathy and the poison immunity were just things that demons have. Yeah, telepathy doesn't really make total sense to me, but... It's it's weird. What I think of it as is that, you know, all of these things are tied into the abyss and have to communicate in some way. And so, like, I get the sense that demons, because, like, to impose the structure of language on a demon would be anathema. <laughs> yeah. They just kind of communicate with, like, impulses and thoughts in that way. Yeah. And that kind of makes a sense to me, right? Pure, they communicate with pure rage. Yeah, because, like, how else, yeah, how else are you going to communicate with a chaos thing? Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Kind of makes a sense. Yeah. I don't know. I, again, like, the fact that it is so common, I wish that, again, there was context for it in the demon lore stuff. Like, why are they all resistant to the poison? Why do they all have this telepathy? It, uh, I don't know. Whatever. Fuck it. <laughs> Who cares? D&D sucks. A demon doctor. So in terms of its traits, it has the big self-destruct thing that we mentioned. It's called Death Rose, where when it dies, it explodes in a big 30-foot fiery boom that ignites flammable objects in the area that aren't being worn or carried, which is fine. Like, sure, don't murder someone's bow. But like, at this point, their bow is made of God. So like, <laughs> whatever. Fuck it. It also kerplodes the Baylor's weapon, which is also fair because they're pretty solid magic weapons, even though, again, at CR 19, the party's probably going to roll in with better stuff, but fine, whatever. Creatures in the area of this blast have to make a DC 20 deck save, which is technically above average, but like, good luck, Paladin, making that. Uh, or take a fairly nasty 70, 20 D6 fire damage on a fail save with half as much on a successful one. Truth be told, I don't really know what this is for. Like, this isn't going to kill anyone. It's probably not even going to knock anyone out. To my mind, and I think that this is my read of the Baylor on the whole, I think that the Baylor is kind of meant to be a mini-boss. Yeah, for sure. It it doesn't, like, outside of putting it at a group that is not ready for this challenge rating, yeah. it does seem sort of like a, you throw it at them before they go fight the biggest boss. Yeah, this feels like, like a resource drain kind of monster to me. Like, you fight this right before you stride up to Demogorgon or whatever, which is kind of the best way. I feel like D&D isn't really structured in that way anymore, though. Like, to my mind, most D&D sessions are like, you, you do party stuff, you buy things, you explore a little bit, and then you have the one combat, and that's it. I think at high levels, you just have to make it not like that, though. Yeah? Like, with... I Literally, I think you have to, like... The party is, like, climbing the tower to go fight Demogorgon, mm. and they are encountering fights, and they're, like, on a time limit. Yeah. So they can't take short rests, so they can't take long rests. You kind of yeah. have to, like... Drain them. You have to drain them. You have yeah. to make them... Yeah. Like... Sad. Yeah, you, you gotta make, take their, you gotta make them sad. Yeah, you gotta get rid of their good stuff in order to wipe them out with Orcus or whatever. I, or at least just to make it more challenging. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> I wonder, it almost makes me consider, like, it almost makes me want to think about how a Dragon Ball Z-style tournament kind of thing would go in D&D, where, like, it's combat and narrative at the same time. You know what I'm saying? Huh. And uh, sorta. And I don't know enough about like I, it's been a while since I've sat down and watched Yu Yu Hakusho. Right. I almost want to like remember nothing about that. <laughs> it's Dragon Ball, but fancier. <laughs> uh, I I almost want to sit down and rewatch one of those shows just to get the structure of like how they put narrative stuff in the middle of fights, right? Yeah. Between the monologuing and the stuff, and how they make each end. Because I remember having a joy whenever like, oh man, 
they're gonna do the they're going down each individual chamber in Bobbity's lair and fighting monsters all along the way and each and every like individual monster was cool and interesting in its own right yeah and had a character to it and i think that's kind of what you have to do you kind of have to slap character onto a baylor so and you know what this makes a sense because this was kind of the rationale for creating strahd and like ravenloft because margaret weiss and tracy hickman were tired of fighting vampire 2 in room 87b <laughs> they wanted to fight like a character and so i, I think that's I guess almost part and parcel for being a DM is throwing personality onto a stat block. Um, but I, I think that is super important in this case for this particular kind of monster, which at the most is going to be a speed bump on the way to the real encounter. Yeah, you want it to at least be a memorable speed bump. Yeah. <laughs> One that they have. Absolutely. They think about after it's done. Yeah. Um, yeah, especially at this stage in the game. Yeah, but... But yeah. Uh, so that's one trait. <laughs> the next trait that it has is called Fire Aura, which works something like Heated Body, if we remember back in the Azer days. The way this trait works is at the start of each of the Baylor's turns, each creature within five feet of it takes 10 3d6 fire damage and flammable objects in the area that aren't being worn or carried ignited. A creature that touches the Baylor or hits it with a melee attack while in five feet of it also takes 10 3d6 fire damage. And this is one of the ways to pad out damage because the melee attacks that the Baylor has are not super powerful. So this is the way that the Baylor pads out damage over the course of the fight and why it becomes dangerous as the fight goes on because no matter what, you're guaranteed to take 10 to some amount of fire damage just by being up near it. And I was actually thinking about this trait earlier and I actually think it's kind of elegant, right? Because like... It makes it so that the fighter and the monk who have like 10 attacks... It sucks to make those 10 attacks. Yeah, yeah, and specifically, yeah, it does cover the damage gap between the rogue who has however many HP and the fighter who has however many HP plus a lot more HP. So it does kind of balance things out where the stuff that gets multi-attacks is taking commensurate damage in order to soften up these frontline heavy hitter fighters. And then also there are monks, which like don't have that much HP, but are monks. Yeah, they're monks, so they get everything else. So, so fuck them. They, they've been handed the world, so they can take the extra they literally don't, 60 damage or whatever. They don't take penalties from age by this point of the game, so fuck it. Yeah, pretty much. And then it also gives uh, the cleric something to do throughout the course of the fight, because everybody ostensibly is taking damage, and not just maybe one person. Oh, plus, like, if we can have monsters that counter debuffers, the monk can have a counter. Fuck them. <laughs> Absolutely. Anyway, Baylors, they get the magic resistant thing where Baylors have advantage on saving throws against spells and other magic effects. Again, paired with the crazy ass bonuses that they get to their saves with the wisdom and the charisma and the constitutional strength and the big old save bonuses. Get fucked, person who picked Bestow Curse. Like, sorry, casters, this is just a bad scene for you. It's stuff like this that makes it kind of glaringly obvious how much of a combat game. Yeah. 5th edition or D&D in general is. Yeah, yeah, it kind of, in, yeah, it kind of sucks to be a caster that isn't just a fireball wielding caster. Yeah. Um, it's like you get your very specific moments. Yeah. Not in combat, mostly. Yeah. And it's weird how that stakes game works, because I've had debuff casters that, like, I cast fear on this demon, and now the fight is over. Yeah. Or, like, I cast whole person on this dude, and now the fight is done. It's this weird kind of, like, high-risk, high-reward kind of scenario where... You're giving up some, especially in the case of Orlocks, you're giving up something very important, which is a spell slot, and in exchange might get something amazing. Banishment. Yeah, like banishment. Like banishment. Like banishment, which is my special move. <laughs> Can't banish this guy. 
It's true. Moreover, they get a little trait called magic weapons, which tell us the Baylor's weapon attacks are magical. Go fucking figure. It's a sword made of lightning. <laughs> the end. Wit made of fire, sword made of lightning. No shit. Yeah. In terms of its actions, the Baylor gets a multi-attack, where it can make two attacks, one with a longsword and one with a whip. The longsword gets a pretty accurate plus 14 to hit and has a reach of 10 feet, since it's a big old monster, that's fair, and does a pretty alright 21 3d8 plus 8 slashing damage plus 13 3d8 lightning damage. Kind of cool. If the Baylor gets a critical, it rolls the damage three times, as opposed to just twice. Meaning that on a good roll, the damage here can go from okay to oh god real quick. I fucking love this bit. <laughs> That's my favorite part. Yeah, I love it. I don't. I. It's. It's like. It's like the way fucking better version of the orc trait. Yeah, the half orc trait. Yeah. I, uh, man. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, I mean, like D and D can be really fun as a luck game, and when you know you get a luck strike like this especially at this point in the game where at this point you're just kind of waiting for disaster to hit you guys in a way that you can't really escape from yeah fun and good i just like take this journey with me as you're like at this point in the game where the party's like whatever you do we don't give a shit and you like roll in that 20 with the baylor and you take out 18 d8s <laughs> and everyone just goes what oh uh yes sir <laughs> okay huh yeah yeah it can be a cool fun oh shit moment yeah uh second thing it has it's got a whip it also has the same plus 14 to hit again pretty accurate they both key off of the Baylor strength which is like 26 big big hits it has a reach of 30 feet since it's a whip on a hit it does 15 2d6 plus 8 slashing damage plus 10 3d6 fire damage and if something gets hit by it the target must succeed on a dc 20 strength saving throw or be pulled up to 25 feet toward the Baylor. which again DC 20 is technically just above average, but again, good luck, wizard, making that yeah, save. Right. 30 feet away, and the wizard's like, finally, I'm safe. And then it just gets whipped and pulled into melee range. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> in that way, that DCs and saving throws kind of get wonky in the late game, as we talked about with angels and whatnot so long ago. Uh, this is another instance where like, ah, but I guess at this point, the wizard should know not to go anywhere near the big scary thing. Is this, uh, before we talk about the last one, Yeah. Uh, is the damage uh, average for the CR? Yeah, so um, generally the hits are, like, taking it all together, putting it all together, it is a little bit below average, but... The crit thing. Well, the crit thing does the crit thing. Yeah. Since the damage that the Baylor does per turn is completely reliant on how many times it's hit, mm -hmm. it can either go from, like, a little bit below damage a little bit below the average damage for the CR to, you know, into and possibly above average if it gets the crit and a lot gets if, if the party is all monks. Yeah. Okay. I was just curious because, like, I'm so used to seeing, especially high CR things, like, it has multi-attack and it attacks five times. Like, yeah. I'm so used to seeing that. Yeah. That seeing the one sword and one whip attack, I was like... Oh. Yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> and, like, it's cool because the whip kind of counts and is interesting and you know is kind of you know getting pulled 25 feet toward this thing that can move wherever it wants nothing is basically safe from the Baylor, especially with this next thing that we'll talk about in a second but yeah it is the fire aura the the damage over time thing that really kind of pads out the damage and is why you know the it doesn't get 200 million attacks because at this point the party has 200 million attacks and will probably take an <laughs> take extra like out. yeah an extra <laughs> like you know 100 damage per round just because everybody has four multi-attacks and whatever yeah so the last thing that the Baylor gets 
is a motherfucking teleport where teleport. it can motherfucking teleport wherever it can see within 120 feet, which like makes me think some things. Firstly, this teleport means that the Baylor can hit whoever it wants, whenever it wants, which is fine. We're at, you know, level 19. Party's big boy now. It's fine. Baylor can hit whoever it was. It's cool. Yeah. And and moreover, since this is supposed to feel kind of like an unstoppable juggernaut fight, it's fine if the Baylor is constantly on everyone's shit the entire time. That's fair. Moreover, since it costs a full action for the Baylor to do this, it's, you know, it can't make attacks the rest of the turn. So that also feels balanced in a way. What it kind of makes me want to see is a fight with a similar action economy, but where the, the creature who can teleport can't move very far. So like it only has its teleport, but it still has its whip and could maybe hit really hard with the sword or whatever. Yeah. And then just like make it really bulky. And then it kind of turns into like a, almost like into the breach where the, the monster takes its turn to teleport wherever it wants. And then the whole party has to shuffle and be like, oh fuck, it teleported right next to the wizard. Quick, get Jeff out of the way. <laughs> and then you have to like scramble to reactively fix wherever the big heavy hitting monster is moved to. I think that would be kind of cool and fun. Yeah. And then absolutely. it becomes like a movement management game where it's like, oh, he's got this whip that goes up to 30 feet, which means that me as the wizard have to either burn my action to dash or use a precious spell slot in order to get out of the way. And to some extent that is also the case here and can be another way to get the wizard to burn precious spell slots in order to weaken them for Demogorgon to step in or whatever. Uh, but yeah, that I it doesn't work so much here because the Baylor can just fly and do whatever it wants, gets wherever it wants to be. But it did give me, like, I do want that as a monster and I hope that that is the design gimmick for a monster that we get down the line sometime. I hope so. That does sound pretty cool, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, the speed of five feet. Yeah, yeah, even if that, yeah. So yeah, those are pretty much all the things the Baylor can do. Since this is a level 19 encounter, let's get funky with it. <laughs> Baby, I'm talking death pits, I'm talking fire traps, I'm talking like big old like Star Warsian chasms, like the party's level 19. Let's... Yeah, don't make this just a circular arena fight with a Baylor. Absolutely, absolutely. And I, I do believe I, I think that it, this would be best in like a Star Wars kind of lightsaber duel arena or, you know, dare I say, like a Baradur, uh, Moria-esque Balrog kind of fight where the party is, you know, leaping from stone steps that are crumbling and there's a whole bunch of gaps and big things and the Baylor can fly. So he's scooting around the entire time. Obviously, you know, at this level, the party will probably have access to fly and can send a couple of characters up there as well, which is fine because they're just going to take more damage when they hit them. S super cool. I think that in addition, it would, you know, behoove you to throw in some fire pits and whatnot that the Baylor can stand in as well. Oh, yeah. And then, like, it becomes, you know, we were talking about applying character to stat blocks. I think that if you really sell the rage and the choleric temperament of the Baylor, maybe you could get the party to bait the Baylor out of the fire pit just by taunting it or something. Like, you know, finally the bard has something to do in a fight. There we go. I'm picturing in my head, like, uh, the entryway to the arena or something, and there's just, like, walls of magma and lava falling yeah. down, and the Baylor just walks through one of those to get to the party, and everyone's like, right! There we go. <laughs> and then you cock your shotgun, like, in Doom. <laughs> Let's hunt. Yeah. And then... <laughs> and, uh, and if there are a bunch of gaps and fire pits and whatnot, then there is extra stakes for when the Baylor whips somebody into fire or into a pit. I think that there could be some cool, fun, oh shit moments there. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. I was trying to think, like, could you... I guess technically there's a mechanic for it, it's just disadvantage. 
Could you reasonably whip somebody through a magma wall and pull them into lava? Yeah. Yeah, technically. Yeah, I'd rule that with disadvantage. Why not? Yeah. Fuck it. Yeah. Who cares? <laughs> We're level 19. Level 19. Eat it. You're yeah. going in the lava now. <laughs> Get fucked, Sarah. You're going in the lava now. He's a good guy. Yeah. Yeah, I but, can't. It's, so, the, the problem with like thinking of an encounter for this guy is that like so much of it in my brain relies on the other media I, I know him from, so I can't picture it not like this huge vertical chasm with like... Maybe, like, throw in some ledges and some lava and shit. But, but it like, kind of works. Yeah, you could yeah. make it an uphill, like, a literal, like, uphill battle. Like, chasing them up a thing or falling down a thing. Like, fuck it, that would be cool. Yeah. Hell, they went full Balrog. You can go full Balrog, too. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. The big important thing is that, you know, when it dies, obviously, if this guy is a resource drain, you want him to teleport into the party when it's getting low on health. And then, you know, maybe you can, like, psychological warfare it where, you know... Ideally, the party has been paying attention for 19 levels, so when the Balrog just teleports straight into the middle of the party, maybe you can get some players that are like, what's going on? <laughs> Surely somebody will murder it in the next turn, because there's always going to be that guy. But uh, I think that would be a fun little bit of psychological trickery. Especially because, like, the, the as you said when we talked about Death Throws, like, the stakes aren't incredibly high yeah. with, with the explosion, yeah. but it is just a real fun, like... Oh, fuck, he knocked out, like, three dudes. Yeah. Just, like, after this long, grueling fight, the fighter has almost killed himself wailing on this Baylor, and the Baylor just, like, Whoop. Yeah, just kicks him over the edge. There <laughs> you go. Like, we finally did it, and then just... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Or even, like, you know, you could knock out the fighter. You could also just, like, take off HP from the rest of the party, which, in this point in the game, might be more draining, because at the end of the day, you know, if the fighter has 15 HP left and you're doing 70 damage to him, it might be better to just go for the Paladin, who oh, yeah. hasn't been bloodied yet, and then you're you're spending more hit dice or potions or whatever to build back up your losses. Or if you have a Cleric, one mass heal. Yeah, or, you know, <laughs> or just it. fucking kill the fighter or whatever. He's got, like, two death saves left. Go and finish him off. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Man, that's a... That's a, that's a... Their level 19 death doesn't mean anything anymore. Bleh. And then, if nothing else, even if he does die and he does the real death, it becomes like a cool like moment right where the Baylor rushes in and explodes and how could we see this coming except for he teleported right into us <laughs> but yeah but yeah it's a good boy it is not a great boy but it's a it's a demon it's a good demon <laughs> it's it's like so it's so it's stat block is big yeah. but it's so simple yeah yeah <laughs> and 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 i had similar thoughts where like it's a big monster that is not actually all that impressive for this level but it's not like the chimera problem yeah it doesn't it's have not... like it's uh, anything going yeah it like knows exactly what it's doing yeah and, like... yeah it's just like it's supposed to be a standard fair monster for this level and is purely that it is standard fair at a point in D D where nothing matters anymore so, like, how can you make the monsters matter? Yeah. So, I guess we're just putting the system on blast here. <laughs> well, we do that a lot, We actually. do. Throwing it all. Throwing it all away. We're crazy. We're on the edge. <sighs> Careful, he's got a knife. Oh, no, Travis, don't stab me! It's just me now. I run the show. I can't do this alone, though, so... Ah, thank you for spending that 300 GP diamond to raise me D&D humor. <laughs> so, thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> just... Thank you so much for spending this.
So thank you so much for listening to this episode of Tooth and Nail. If you enjoyed it, feel free to kick us some stars over at Spotify or iTunes or our kind of janky proprietary site as of this recording. Uh, if you are sick of listening to Tooth and Nail, feel free to check out stuff at nerdsmith.org where there are so many things. A whole goddamn, you couldn't even, I challenge you, listen to everything <laughs> on nerdsmith.org. You that can't is, do it. Honestly, that's an unreasonable amount of hours of things. You can't even do it. You can't. Try it. Reverse psychology. <laughs> In the meantime, what is a good creature comfort for tonight? <sighs> the... We're literally talking about somebody made a fire, so hot cocoa and a blanket feels a little on the nose. Yeah, it does. I was going to suggest because it can teleport and fly wherever it wants, go where you want to be today. Just <laughs> take go... a trip. Yeah, take that trip. Go, go to where you want to be. Go to what will satisfy you. Go to somewhere where it is the most beneficial for when you explode, when you die. And you will. And you will, when you go there, to your favorite place. Uh, I don't make the rules, sorry. But most importantly, have a good day. Yeah, bye. Bye.